This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to you and thanks for tuning in on this glorious Tuesday. I am, I have this, uh, I'm quite excited to be in your midst today. Uh, welcome aboard, um, beyond the, you know, welcome aboard in terms of the our show, uh, and thanks for making, uh, this particular show very relevant on a daily basis. Uh, um, as you know, or at least that's what we put forward from time to time, is to ensure that we push the, the, the deep analysis of the critical issues that the, that we are facing as a country from time to time, particularly in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as we always do, last week we had an interesting and thought-provoking conversation, uh, you know, with Hamid Mashaba, the former mayor of the former mayor of city of Johannesburg and a founding member of Action SA. Um, I personally think he got his fingers uh, right on the pulse on several issues. I, I, you know, my view is quite simple on these issues that uh, he came across as very as a, as a solution-oriented person. Um, he he was eager to provide you know solutions on some of the issues that are griping you know uh, the country as it were. He would recall that before the you know COVID nineteen. Our economy was already in ICU, and COVID-19 just made it worse, uh, which means there's a, a, a desperate need for us to stop talking and, you know, doing the implementation because we have so many plans in this country, and yet we don't really see traction in terms of the the, the implementation. A just quick reflection based on what I think really stood out for me in terms of uh, what you call what might be the, the, the his party's um, plan. Uh, firstly, it's about, he spoke about rearranging the national budget so that funds may be better spent on basic services. We could, we, we can all agree with him on that note. He spoke about, um, you know, way of cutting the, the, the salary bill, which is currently sitting as about 340 billion rents. Um, you know, which, which in fact, you know, it has moved from 740 billion rent to 750 billion rent, which is quite economical. Uh, the, his other priorities, um, is how do we change the legislation? Um, as, as he thinks the current, uh, labor, labor legislation forms or um, labor legislation, I beg your pardon, uh, are mainly characterized by rigidity. But anyway, um, th- those are my views on, on what really happened. If you really missed that particular episode, not to worry. Simply go to our website and download the podcast and share your views, uh, and with, with us. And, you know, of course our SMS line is, uh, 34519. The telegram is 0618910951. Um, and, and really tell us exactly how you, how you feel or perhaps maybe even weigh in in our conversation, uh, on today's conversation. Uh, before we move forward, let's pay homage to those who came before us, the Higher Drive team, uh, uh, for a job well done. Thanks to Simon and thanks to Dominic Majola. They are back on your radio tomorrow. Do give them your audience and support as you always do. Uh, moving on swiftly, um, once again, thank you for tuning in. We often start our show by a brief reflection in terms of what are issues that really stood up or issues that are of significant for the country. Um, what is topical for now is some of the testimonies we have seen uh, in the state capture. What do you make of the testimony by the former MEC of Housing in the Free State and the former Minister of Mineral Resources? I mean, um, he is often referred to, or most of, in fact, all the parliamentarians are referred to as honorable members. What, what brings to mind when you dissect the, the notion of honor or being honorable? It speaks to, um, high esteem. It speaks to the quality of knowing and doing what is morally right. Based on the evidence or the testimony that we've heard so far, can we use those words in the same line with the minister or the former minister, who is currently still a member of parliament? What has happened to the ANC's resolution on those that are plagued with such controversies? We ought to have seen him being either suspended or 
you know, uh, standing aside while the investigation is undergoing. It's quite interesting. And I sometimes think South African, you know, politicians live in a different uh, environment completely. There is this sense of brazen disregard for collective intelligence of citizenry. You know, what comes to mind on this particular issue for of Museveni Zwane uh, is that most, in most instances, politicians are happy to take kudos when the department has received clean audit. They're happy to take the credit because these things have happened under their watch. Paradoxically, when the department receives qualified reports or disclaimers at worst, none of them, they want to take ownership. In fact, they have to get responsibility to speak to the management. Management, you know, as we've heard with Mr. Mizuane, you know, it cannot be that a seasoned politician of his stature who has been in, in parliament and in senior leadership position for years, you know, to claim that has been led, misled or did not get accurate information from, 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 uh, from, from officials. It can be. It can be. Um, but what comes to mind on this issue is the fact that when the center collapses or when the center does not hold, we have this kind of colossal damages. We have this kind of mess that you've seen. During the era of Kamonbeki as a president, he may not have been the most perfect uh, president, but the center held. There was some level of accountability. And we did not see this brazenness uh, theft. We do not see this brazenness uh, looting that you have seen under the, the previous administration. Anyway, these are my views. What do you think about all these things? You share, you'll share your views with us on our SMS line as well as, as, well as Instagram. We want to shift list. Let's quickly reflect on the VBS scandal. Uh, what's your take on the, the, the testimony by the, by the former, uh, you know, the CEO of, uh, VBS Bank or the CFO, I beg your pardon, of VBS, Philip Trutter. Very interesting. Which means now a whole lot of, uh, of management and board, uh, are definitely going to follow, uh, because his, uh, testimony and subsequent conviction points to excavation on a number of malfeasance, a number of maladministration, corruption, fraud, and you name it. It's quite interesting. As we continue to reflect, what's your take on the arrest of senior ranking officials at SAPS, South African Police Services? We have heard, recently heard that the, the Deputy National Commissioner for Human Resources is also implicated on, on fraud, corruption, and theft, and money laundering. How do you explain or expect the, the constable, who is a foot soldier, to behave when the top brothers are found wanting. We've known, we've heard, and I've seen that the former police police commissioner, Komoto Patani, you know, what has happened to him? We've heard, I've seen the other top brothers by the name of Diliwe Dilange, Houghton Deputy uh, Police Commissioner. I mean, the, the list is endless. I wonder what the, the, the Minister of Police feels about this because this literally undermines any work they have done. It undermines the confidence. But I suppose it's not too late to start really changing and making sure that we have a subs that we can all be proud of. And these cases, in my mind, um, they, they, they suggest that the Hawks are beginning to really do their work in terms of restoring law and order or law enforcement. This trajectory, in my mind, should be maintained as it bolsters the country's public image, especially from investment point of view. We are for investment, and we can have an investment where the, 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 law, the law enforcement agencies are seen to be weak, vulnerable, gullible to those that, that, that are in power. We may not be happy with the pace, but I think it's worth uh, appreciating the effort that has been made. From, from, in terms of trying to keep the public image, particularly insofar as the, the, the law enforcement is concerned. What analyzes this particular issue? 
Why do we so desperately need foreign and national investment? I mean, the, the current the, the, the budget deficit for 2020 is expected to be about 15.7% of GDP. This translates to almost about 300 billion rands of, of shortfall in terms of the revenue. And this translates to about six, almost 70% of the debt to GDP, which means in the next four or five years, our debt to GDP is likely to reach 100, 100% as it's sitting at it's almost 70% now, which means we need to grow the economy faster so that we're able to reverse this kind of, of, of uh, environment which doesn't really take us anywhere. And I'm happy to take your thoughts. Do weigh in on our conversation. Our SMS line is 34519. Telegram is 0618951095. Moving on swiftly, let me take this opportunity to welcome our guest tonight, uh, who is the CEO of, um, you know, in fact, his name, let's start there. His name is Lloyd Poitier, who, uh, whoever, who, who has over the past 20 years amassed, um, you know, quite a number of experience. Uh, on on international market, on mergers and acquisitions, uh, who is able to drive exponential, you know, uh, exposure in terms of getting the real markets. Uh, on that note, let's get uh, the the CEO of um, uh, Disruptive uh, Lib uh, to join us on online. Lloyd, good evening and welcome. Good evening, Nimrod. Thank you for having me. How are you, my goodness? I'm very well. Um, getting the, the family, the kids back to school, uh, getting to, to some sense of normality in this uh, otherwise crazy world. Uh, I hope it's the same on your side. Thank you very much. I mean, when you uh, speak to Lloyd, you get to appreciate the fact that you have been in this business of uh, turnaround for some time. Uh, you have been exposed to a number of uh, economies, number of markets. Uh, you've been ex- really exposed, and and you are the best person to really give us a sense of how uh, South African environment needs to look at things differently. Uh, in your capacity as a lip, um, as a MD of uh, disruptive leave, firstly, let's go through what ordinarily comes to mind when you talk about exponential growth, which is something that you push forward from time to time. Um, from where you're sitting, is exponential growth a myth or reality, particularly in the context of COVID-19? Yes. Um, so exponential growth is really defined as something uh, completely out of the usual in terms of uh, sales growth or revenue growth for a company. So if, if normally a company does really well, they could ex- exceed the inflation rate or the growth rate of the economy by a, by a couple of percents, right? Um, if they do really, really well, they, they could move from 5% inflation rate to maybe 15% organic growth. That would be tremendous. Um, but exponential means something... Um, completely out of the ordinary. It, it may mean doubling up, tripling up your sales every year. It may mean something like that's unreachable. So I, I would say, um, is that a myth or reality? I think it's 99% of a myth, really. Um, and because it leans on the usual organizational levers of, of, um, of, of, of companies, which is really to do to put it bluntly, more of the same. And more of the same means we are in a competitive market within South Africa and then globally. And then for each service you may think of providing, there are a large number of competitors and the law of offer and demand just preclude you from winning too, too much uh, business, really, because you will have a competitor that's who, who is cheaper and so on and so forth. So the law of offer and demand playing in a competitive market is probably somehow the public enemy number one, as in um, a huge leveler 
of, of any out-of-the-ordinary growth. So if you think of exponential, the very basis of that is to start with something out of the ordinary, something, and that starts with a value proposition, be it goods or services. So it has to be, it has to be extraordinary compelling. And extraordinarily compelling would mean something substantially better for clearly less. And that's what you find with the 1% of a few exceptions, right? Let, let's take the example of Uber. And Uber has had its, its challenges, obviously, um, during, during the COVID. But if we look at Uber, essentially they're saying, well, you will get something substantially more convenient, probably quicker, transparent, for clearly less than the, 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 the normal benchmark, which is a taxi, right? And so if you have a compelling value proposition, then that's the first step towards exponential growth. And, and so, but for that, we need to go at the very source of the way we think business, because, which is, which is the mindset of organizations. And they're very much geared to do more of the same. Uh, with a twist and, and so on and so forth. And especially as well, uh, in, in, during COVID times, then as human beings and organizations being, um, being, um, uh, um, a number of human beings put together, we, we suffer very much of, uh, of the, of the, the, the flight or fight. Um, and, and so we, we, we strike in crisis mode. And all of a sudden, we, we, we're behaving a little bit like the ostrich, right? We, we put the head in the sand and we look inwardly in organizations. And, and that's our definition of risk management, overwhelmingly. And the problem with that is that once you look inward and you've done your cost cutting and you've done your um, uh, cost management and, and rental payment holidays and so, there's a limit to, to the inward-looking approach because you can't really operate out of thin air and so that's a limit, that's, that's a non-sustainable way of approaching a risky period. And so we're not programmed to see the opportunity in that. And so I'll talk just a little bit more now about the opportunity and the mindset to get to the thought of a compelling value proposition, to get to the exponential growth. But to answer your question, Nimrod, it's really about uh, having a, a series of elements right. It's the 1% of organization, if at all. And the huge paradox in there is it's actually factually not so complex. It's, it's, a, it's a set of, of practical ideas and, and KPIs of, or, 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 or business um, methods or ratios that you have to apply consistently. And, and it is something that I think we'll all do a little bit more um, um, in an agile way a few years to come as, as the economies. Uh, and the exponential technologies and the, the exponential business models are progressing, we will do that probably one day with our eyes closed, like we, we, we do an annual budget uh, for, our, for argument's sake, or, or like very much we, we climb into a car uh, to drive, so that the first time we do that it feels extraordinarily complex, the, the, the thousandth time we, we climb into a car and drive, we don't think about it anymore. And so the ideas of exponential organizations are, I think, in, in about 10 to 20 years will be business as usual. But it's very much now something that people aren't too sure how to, how to grasp. So, yeah, unfortunately for now, it's still a myth um, reserved for the, the happy few. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that kind of, of uh, analogy and unpacking because we often bombard it in, in business school setup that uh you know companies can really experience exponential growth and and uh based on what you have alluded to uh for now uh, it's still something that is on the horizon it's not something that can be pra- that that is practicable practical now but there are you know processes that can be undertaken um as of today and build up towards an era where we could cumulatively get to a point where we can talk of exponential growth, but basically what you're saying, exponential growth, it is a process, not an event. You don't get to a point where suddenly, uh, you know, you've tripled your, your, your bottom line. Uh, you've got this huge revenue. Um, had you not worked incrementally over a period of time? Am I correct to sum up your, your, your views in that way? Uh, yes and no. 
Yes, because there's a probably the biggest complexity is our mindsets, uh, because we we as human beings very much uh, hate change. Nothing new. We uh, change might feel threatening. Might feel we, we we very much love to learn out of our experiences in a gradual way, and 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 so so therefore yes to to what you just said. But but also no because to build an exponential organizations is not complex and, and can be started by any organization almost any day on the back of... Um, so so let, let, let me take a few examples maybe. So 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 we our core business as Disruptive Leap is to enable organizations to do just that and to, to do the bit of learning, the bit of, uh, let's say, new business jargon and, and, and ratios that they need in order to let, let me unpack one core principle. So I've explained about the compelling value proposition. So one example would be one of our companies who is in the IT service industry. So and and the bulk of their sales was based on large IT infrastructure projects. And so during crisis time, um, we had to to put a mirror in front of them and say, hey. Um, Nobody's going to pen, spend uh, on, on large IT capital in, in infrastructure for the foreseeable couple of years, because that's that's something like a, a new car that can be easily delayed, and you can still uh, keep your existing car or infrastructure for a year or two longer. So all of a sudden, the core business is 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 going to be extinct. But the the thought of software as a service and platform as a service, and and so. It's not necessarily doing something entirely new, but it's revising their pricing models and the way to approach and the, the way they price and build and structure the services. And, and in a way, they, they were very much structured to offer that kind of services, but which was the, the probably 10% of their, of their sales revenue, but we helped them to refine those pricing structure to, to, to create a compelling value proposition, to create a simple tool to explain to clients how they could save money and how, and, and that in, in the space of five minutes over, um, a conversation with the key executives. And with that building a bit of a, um, a sales channel and a partner channel. So, so, so I would say exponential organizations can be created. I've explained the, the principle of compelling value proposition, but there's also acceleration to market. Uh, once we're sitting on a product or services that is compelling, as in differentiated, so something that gives more services or benefits for, for less uh, cost, then it should take a life of its own. But a life of its own can be accelerated through the going-to-market approach, and I'll develop that concept just, just now. Well, maybe just hold on to that point, uh, uh, you know, right, because we're just about to go to the break. Um, as we in the next couple of seconds, but let's revisit the second principle, uh, which you have just alluded to, i.e. acceleration to market. Um, let's take a break. We'll come back and revisit the very same, the second principle that you've alluded to. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbede on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. It is now 28 minutes to 7 o'clock. I'm joined online by the MD of Dis- Disruptive League, uh, uh, Lip, uh, by his name is Lloyd Potter. And in a way, we are trying to get an understanding on how best to activate exponential mindset in an organization, especially uh, beyond COVID-19. Um, before we went to the break, uh, Lloyd, you pointed out, firstly, you, you made reference to some of the key principles which underpins exponential growth or at least the mindset. One was that of a compelling value proposition. And I'm sure, I mean, you've got quite, you've, you've given us a lengthy elaboration on your take as to what constitute value proposition. You were about to give us a, um, a view on what, on the second uh, principle, which is, which relates to acceleration to market. Take us through that. And most importantly, how do we take this principle in practical terms? Uh, it, there's one thing to make an articulation, but if articulation of some of these principles don't find expression in operations, for an example, or strategic operations, for, for an example, it becomes just an academic exercise. Perhaps maybe in your, in your, um, articulation, let's try and find practical examples, uh, on each of these, uh, uh principles that you are alluding to. Yeah, 
No, yes, absolutely. Um, thank you, Nimrod. So, yeah, we, we talked about the compelling value proposition, and we, we took the practical examples of an IT-based company. So instead, instead of a very lengthy and costly IT infrastructure exercise, which no one probably wants to do now, we thought of a compelling value proposition might be the, the guarantee of immediate IT savings for a license-based fee that comes at a monthly cost reduction and uh, that can be cancelled on a 30-day notice, but that are practical and convenient and cost-saving. And all of a sudden, we're transforming an organization from, from something complex and, and laborious to something more nimble. And, and so, therefore, we come to, to the idea of the bullseye. And the bullseye is in a time of crisis or post-crisis, and in a challenging economic environment for the foreseeable future, we need to sell and think of our goods and services as meeting the bullseye. And the bullseye is described as the, the absolute must-have needs of organizations. Let me take a practical example of a, one of our other clients, who, which is a, an auditing and advisory firm, uh, prominent in, in, in this country. And so um, I was chatting to the CEO who was telling me, well, auditing has been doing great and uh, advisory has been an enormous challenge. And so it, it's very simple, essentially. So audited accounts, no company can go without that. It's a basic need to have. It's a basic compliance need, essentially. So that went great. They weren't um, uh, negatively affected during, during COVID. On the other hand, any expense that could be prolonged or that could be cut or that could be postponed for a while, like consulting and advisory services, was so. So meeting the bullseye is to make sure we are we develop and, and concentrate on the essential services that we provide, so the, the stuff that companies and organizations cannot do without. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, so... Does, does, does the decision maker, if he or she doesn't take my services, is she going to be out of a job at the end of the year? Is it in, in their very much short-term KPIs? Is it an enabler to that, to them keeping their jobs uh, and so on? Uh, or is it, is it a nice to have? And so once we have a compelling value proposition with meeting the bullseye as in the absolute needs of the business, then it should take a life of its own and we could accelerate our, our route to market. And the, the route to market and the growth to market can be accelerated in various ways. And I'll talk about the ecosystem versus the fortress. The fortress is a little bit of a dying breed. It's, it's the traditional large corporation that wants to control every single aspect of whatever happens in, in their world in terms of skills and employees and and IP and, and products and knowledge and, and trademarks and all of that. And all of a sudden, they need they, 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 they will tend to take a tremendous amount of time to get to market with anything, however uh, nimble they, they, they think of themselves. And so uh, we have to think of smart partnerships. Let, let me take one practical example. So that IT company, We've, uh, they, they were thinking of hiring a new, new teams of salespeople because of being very enthused by the, the prospect of selling something that was compelling. And so we told them, but hold on, um, you could hire the next 10 or 50 or 100 um, IT salespeople, or you could immediately access 10,000. And so... There's a, there are tremendous opportunities in a time of crisis. And so one obvious one in terms of skill sets and, and workforce is that there are tens of thousands of, um, if not hundreds of thousands of South Africans that are, who are connected at home, who have um, a great um, pool of skills and who may uh, be unfortunately out of a formal job at the moment. And so there are ways to embrace to train the trainer, to to reach out through. Uh, so, so, for example, in Disruptive Leap, when we needed to expand our commercial team and our back office team, we simply went to an organization called recruitmymom.co.za 
uh, and we talk of diversity, we, th- we talk of women in the workplace and ratios, and, and all of that are important things. But we were just a little bit more uh, practical, in a sense, and because we know that there are tens of thousands of mom at home that, who, who need the flexibility, the time flexibility, but who, who, who have great capacity, skills, experience, and so we could tap into that very quickly through online platforms and to to accelerate our, our growth. So acceleration to market means instead of hiring these 10 salespeople, maybe you could embark on um, uh, connecting and finding new forms of collaboration with a 1,000 salespeople. Uh, another practical example was so one example that I like, and we, we, we advised another client on doing exactly that, was the, the discovery model with China. So essentially, when you, when you cut to the core, um, the, the secret source of discovery is essentially a, a piece of algorithm that maps behavior and, and then incentivizes behavior, right? So you're going to pay less premium if you behave in a healthy way, right? And then we share... Uh, so if you behave in a healthy way, then there's less um, uh, costs and claims, and then we share, in, and then you pay less premium, essentially. So it, it works. It's a, it's a positive uh, circle. So when they contemplate uh, a global expansion, and, and also in China, they, the, the slow way is the traditional way of corporations to expand their footprint. They start either acquiring a local business, which comes at a fairly high cost, and Essentially, 70% still uh, acquisitions fail to deliver on, on the expected um, uh, objectives for uh, a very large amount of, of, of reasons. Uh, or they could grow Greenfield organically and hire a management team and apply for the local compliance and licenses and so on and so forth and uh, invest a lot in marketing and getting the brand known and so on and so forth, which is very costly as well and takes five years to get to anywhere near a, a little bit of a, a growth uh, that, that, that matters. So none of the traditional ways is very exciting, essentially, to grow organically uh, or, to, or to do acquisition. So a third way, once you have a compelling, uh, like a secret source, is to simply... Can we just, to, can we just, can we just hold it to that? Because I think um, I, 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 I appreciated the, 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 you know, comparison between what you referred to as an ecosystem versus the fortress. I would imagine the fortress in this context refers to traditional organization. Um, what is the, what is the prevalence, uh, thought processes around, uh, smart collaboration as you've put it? Because, I mean, it's, it's, in, it's quite interesting that you're making reference to some practical example wherein, you know, uh, the ecosystem is beginning to emerge or the ecosystem uh, is beginning to be a currency which uh, managers um, need to leverage on. From where you're sitting and based on your exposure, uh, because one, um, collaboration obviously can bring about scalability. Um, and how do we get to a point to, to exponentially, you know, really highlight the significance if you like, of an ecosystem, um, because there, there lies in high prospects, you know, for uh, employment creation uh, and 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 you know, really appreciating the value proposition. How do we how do we, you know, exponentially, at least from a conceptual point of view, uh, get to a point where we promote collaboration that that will, I would imagine, lead to scalability of product and services. Yes, absolutely. And so, so to your point, it's, it's about the ecosystem versus the trying to do it all internally. So uh, a large traditional organizations will want to control all the key areas of, of work and uh, the back office and the, the IT and the payroll and the, and the management and the office space and all of that. And, and so an ecosystem company will be able to, so let, let, let's take the example of Uber. Uh, and Airbnb and other startups of, of that nature. So you can get in six to 18 months to a hundred billion dollar valuation because of the scalability of, of systems who are bound to evolve beyond geographies. And so 
a traditional company, again, would have to set up shop in every country, would have to have a management team and legal entities and finance department and, and local compliance and all of that. And all of a sudden, we have uh, business operated from a certain country that are totally in the cloud that can spread their wings at extraordinary rates. And for that, you need specialization. Let, let me take a small example. So in our company, when we started a couple of years ago, I was so, so my, my, my past experience is that of a, a group CEO of, of a corporation. And I was so, um, uh, struck by how complex a large organization is to run that I did the exact opposite when, when starting, um, something more entrepreneurial. And so our payroll is managed. Uh, in the cloud by external partners or back office in our IT the same. Uh, we, we, we use shared office space and, and virtual space. We work from home, um, four years before COVID. We, we, we have partners for, we started that company with three or four people, uh, excelling at what we do, which is advising companies, but all the rest was fiercely outsourced. So, uh, none in, 5% of our time was spent on on what we do best. And, and so, therefore, it's scalable. It's scalable. So, now, let, let's see if the next steps into scaling a business. So, for example, if I wanted to scale our business further and into face-to-face -face or um, um, enabling and helping organization, I would have to recruit another 10 and then another 50 and then another 100 consultants and so on. Or once now that we've grasped and um, that we've elaborated our methodologies and that we we are putting that into platforms that people can self-help with on the basis of licenses and so forth, then all of a sudden it is scalable. And so and so and so it's it's really at the, the core setup of your products and services that you can scale. And another way to scale, if you're not in the IT platform and all of that space, is very simply. And I'll go back to the discovery model. Uh, looking at China, they said, well, who sits on 80% of the of our potential client base in this country? And so they said, okay, let, let's look at the, the top five players locally uh, in the insurance space, and let's rather partner with them, and we, we will have to share some of the, the pie and the revenue, but if we can get to a couple of hundred million people fairly quickly, uh, we would rather have a smaller piece of the pie for a couple of hundred million people than than take five years to get to a few thousand people. And so, and so, smart partnerships are are, are very much um, the order. So we were advising a, a global insurance company and the exec team for Africa. They were looking at and we we screened down what could create a compelling value proposition. We saw that in the motor industry. In the in the in the fraud in terms of um, accidents and so on and the the assessments of car accidents and, and and the complexity of that process that if we could solve some of that that would be a major game changer and so once we had found something that looked like a, a solution whole excitedly so they, they wanted to start hiring data scientists and and to start uh, uh, investing in in technology but hold on your horses surely. We're not the first ones to think about this. And so the, the key learning there was, surely this has been invented before and somewhere someone is sitting and rather a few individuals, a few organizations are most probably sitting on that solution. And we went about that. We found a great um, tech startup in the UK that claimed to have solved that uh, with AI and a couple of other things. And so here is the one plus one equal three. If that's tech startup in the UK sitting on a great um, uh, proposition needed to penetrate the markets in Africa with no brand, no networks, no local compliance and so on, it would have taken them lots of money in five years and energy. And, and so for, for that global insurance company who have all of that in Africa, it would also have taken them five years to create the solution. And so putting the two together on, on, um, on an exclusivity, uh, joint exclusivity for, for Africa, uh, enable them to immediately create the solution and go about their markets. And so people need to think about their skill sets, their assets, their databases of clients in a different way, like 
what else may they need? What else may, and so we found companies that we've helped to say, but hang on, you, you, you're looking at um, a trusted brand, you, 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 you have uh, an enormous amount of loyal customers, and so what else do they need? And it's not that you have to therefore manufacture or provide those services, but you can become, we, we looked at the largest micro lender in the country who are doing um, an extraordinary job at enabling tens of thousands of poor households and, and women uh, to to get micro lending and finance and so and they, they've been experts at it for, for decades. And they wanted to help with funeral insurance. And they had done an attempt and it had been a failure. But I said to them, look, other people have taken decades to, to, to master the art of providing good insurance products. So you don't invent yourself an expert at that all of a sudden. You, you're, you're going to burn a, a little bit of midnight oil trying to, to do that. And, and it's not a good idea. But why don't you simply partner with an expert at that and all of a sudden one plus one equals three? You, you, you have to trust that relationship with hundred thousands of household. Why don't you? And so, so the ecosystem is really the art of puzzle making. Once you've defined your, 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 your compelling value proposition, once you've understood that you are meeting the bullseye, as in the very necessary short-term needs of uh, organizations or, or audiences or individuals, once you, you have found a way to accelerate the market, then you, you really need to find the right partners to write. Uh, so, and, and partners in, in the broad sense, it could be tech partners, it could be people working from home, it could be platforms, it could be... And so I, I met a friend um, a couple of years ago and he had started an $80 million business on his own and he was the sole employee in it. And I thought first, wow, that sounds very bad for employment, right? Because he could have employed probably hundreds of people. But when he showed me the, the trickle effect of all the jobs he created by using um, external organizations to partner with him for logistics and supply chain and warehousing and goods delivery and manufacturing. He, he, he had created thousands of jobs in very much of an extraordinarily faster way than if he had created all of that on his own. He went in every single pillar of his organization. He got the best at something, the best value chain, uh, supply chain, the best warehousing, the, the best importers, the best uh, manufacturers, the best uh, logistics, and so on and so forth. And he enabled them to scale by, by providing his goods and services. Well, well I, suppose, I, suppose, I suppose that kind of uh, approach really lowered down your, your, your exposure in terms of the risk, but also the financial capital, or the financial capital, um, capital outlay that you ordinarily would need to have that kind of um, expansion. I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. You know, you obviously have to understand uh, what the needs of the clients are. But what I found fascinating based on what you just said is sometimes companies sit with vast and vast of databases of clients. And, and you know, that on its own is, is a golden mine, which someone who has appetite for a, a particular product can say, look, I've got database of X amount of people. Um, I'm, I'm happy to share this database with you, provided, um, you know, you use it ethically and above board, uh, for whatever product and service that you want to come up with, um, for a fee, for example. So this is one way of diversifying or bringing income stream for an organization by simply utilizing what gonna, what you already have. Yes, absolutely. And, and in fact, I advised the, the school board where, where my kids go to school to, to do just that the other day. And, and I, I said to them, look, we, we understand parents are more and more under severe constraints in terms of the ability to pay school fees, uh, which is quite uh, difficult and, and so on. And so they still have to maintain infrastructure and, and so they, they still have to operate. And so... But, but they've created over the years an, an, an enormous trust, uh, a trusted community. And I said to them, well, it doesn't need to be invasive. So why don't you ask, we know what households need. They might need connectivity at home. They might need some uh, insurance products. They might need um, a couple of things uh, or car insurance or whatever. And, and we could, in, in the budget of a household, we will find at least five items that they need. And so to the same principle that um, 
uh, a company can negotiate with, let's say, for argument's sake, a, a gym company or, or a gym membership or, or with an insurance company, uh, uh, build discounts based on the number of staff and employees. Um, the insurance company saves on, on marketing and sales and customer acquisition, having all of a sudden a bulk of people uh, joining their ranks. And, and so the company uh, saves costs, the, the individual saves costs. And I said, why, why don't you ask people whether they would want you to investigate the, the ability to, to, to create uh, a bulk discount for the, the school community? And um, and so if nobody says yes, then you, you've got your answer. But if 50% of the people say, well, let's, let's hear about um, – and if, if you can get 10 20% discount based on bringing a few hundreds of assholes together, then everyone wins, really. So it doesn't have to be complex. It's just sometimes thinking a little bit in a structured way outside of the box to, to see and create value in – um, uh, just a little bit lateral to our core business, and yeah. So I fully agree with you, Nimrod. That's 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 fascinating. That's fascinating insight. If you've just joined us, we're having a very interesting conversation with Lloyd Poit, who is an MD of Dis- Disruptive Leaf Lip, uh, and we're really talking about how to activate, um, you know, exponentially the mindset of of of, of any organization beyond COVID nineteen. Do we, you know, you know, in our conversation, our SMS line, which is 34519, the telegram is 061-895-1095. We are literally wrapping up in the next uh, minutes, a few minutes or so. I want to elevate the conversation slightly higher, Loic, if you like, because so far we've been just talking at the macro, at the company level. Um, because the biggest challenge, uh, we have seen to date as companies um, as, as, as governments and companies are trying to press a reset button is how do we change the fortunes? Because we, it's guaranteed, we all know that COVID-19 has done us under. Most companies, even governments are literally, uh, are swimming, uh, in water, so to speak, because they, South Africa, for example, I mean, you know, I've, I've alluded to our debt to GDP ratio, I mean, uh, debt to GDP ratio, which is sitting at about almost 70% in the next couple of more years, we would likely to be sitting at 100%. But, you know, this also calls for a review of, you know, the role of the state and commercial funding models, so to speak. What would your advice be in terms of embracing, you know, what you refer to as the um, the, the ecosystem in the context of, of, of government funding agencies, because most of them, they are still pursuing or locked up in the traditional uh, banking setup, even though they are state-owned. Yes, no, absolutely. I think the, the government and, and the state definitely has an extraordinarily important role to play. And also there are places and aspects where they shouldn't play a role, and they should probably simply get out of the way. Um let me take a, a couple of practical examples. So I think that education is extraordinarily important and, and there are a number of things to be fixed there. So if the state focuses on guaranteeing uh, a, a number of basic services that are qualitative and that are at times reviewed a little bit, let, let, let me talk about um, there are great funding mechanisms by the state through skills development, right? And so laudable initiatives, very important, but sometimes a little bit antiquated. And all the CETAs, when I, when I looked at the new programs, you have a specific CETA, I believe, for IT services, where you could learn about the, the skills of the future and so on. Um, but, but I think it should be embedded in terms of, so basic connectivity services are, are extraordinarily important. Then basic computing, computing skills. And then, Probably those funding mechanisms. There are a large number of platforms online globally that are accept, accessible with, with great self-help uh, tools and so on for people to be connected and to self-learn about skills and so on. And then there are great platforms who are giving jobs, maybe as freelancers and so on, but which are again opportunities to learn jobs and so on and so forth for, um, for tens of thousands of people. So if we work in a couple of, let's call them layers for, for, and if you concentrate on step or steps, uh, step one would be 
basic access to education, good general education, and then basic computing skills and um, basic models of un or how to understand the uh, fourth industrial revolution, key skills, new technologies, and so on and so forth. Just the basic concepts and how it works and so on. Then the next layer would be uh, beyond that, the access to connectivity, the access to computer material or the ability to acquire a laptop or a tablet or something, and then the ability to access. We, we could all of a sudden create tens of thousands of jobs, maybe in a different way, but, but uh, like income earning activities that would bring hard currencies into the country and so on. And so, so sometimes I reflect, so uh, uh, from the state perspective, they sometimes think that they need to create companies, state-owned companies, uh, and, and we've seen with, with very little success there. But if they focus on creating the basics and then they review these basics into additional steps to create an enabling environment and skills, if the CETAs are a little bit more open to uh, or a little bit less rigid and around specific skill sets and modules and so on, um, I, I think that would be, that would be, that would create, um, a thriving environment. And in, in a thriving environment, uh, then, then people can, can take initiatives, can create companies, connect, can, can create these ecosystems really. Yep, unfortunately, Loic, uh, we have run out of time. How I wish you could have uh, have more time, but uh, thank you very much for tuning and for, for coming through. I certainly uh, think and believe that the listener have um, have grasped a number of issues that you have put forward, particularly around some of the principles that you you, you eloquently put forward around ecosystems and and how do we literally make uh, you know difference without necessarily growing or bloating our, our cost. Um, I sincerely hope, um, you know, this particular show has made a difference or at least have uh, sharpened the thinking of uh, the listeners, who, especially those that are running their business. We're going to have to leave it here. Uh, once again, thank you very much for joining us. Great. Uh, thank you so much, Nimrod, for, for having me. It's been, a, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you very much. There we got That is uh, Lloyd Poche, who is the MD for disruptive leap, uh, giving us um, uh, his thoughts about, you know, the mindset that is required uh, for exponential growth in, in organization, especially in the uh, context of COVID-19, as most companies are, have, have just restarted or have just pressed the restart button, which requires a different thinking, a different approach, uh, a, a different models of how to do business. Let's do this again next week uh, as we part ways. Thank you, Kabisa, for coordinating the show. Tabo, thank you very much for uh, putting us upstream. Uh, let's do this again next week. Have a good one and good evening.